What if this experience is the perfect one? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And in our interview segment, we have Christine Sachs, a master certified coach and lead trainer with Accomplishment Coaching. We hope you enjoy the episode today. And remember, something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. What if this experience is the perfect one? When I first heard this question, I was like, wait a minute, there's no such thing as perfect. Nothing is perfect. So why am I even considering this question? (laughs) But I'd actually like you to listen to it one more time. What if this experience is the perfect one? What does it provide you? I know when I actually took a second and thought about it, I thought, hmm, What if everything I've been trying to control and manage or work my way around is not the thing that was meant to be? What if exactly what's happening in this moment is leading me somewhere that I need to be, that I don't even know I need to be in? This is a little bit of a positive mindset approach, as well as some manifestation in here. And we do have to be a little bit careful of toxic positivity in this realm, But I truly do believe that we can empower in the moment this experience being the perfect one. And if we actually chose to believe that, what would be created? For me, there's a shift in energy. I notice that if I choose to believe that everything is happening for a reason in the moment, and I can still be committed to the things I want in the world, there's a little bit more room for possibility. I get less stuck. I have less pressure on my shoulders. It feels a little bit more free to experience the moment and choose the grace in the moment as well as being committed to my future. So again, this is a coaching concept that goes back to holding space for the both and, meaning both things can exist at once instead of it having to be one way or the other. So I invite you to think about what would be possible today if this experience that you're having in the moment, even listening to this podcast, is the perfect one. What would be changed for you and what would you take on from here? Today, I get the immense joy and honor of interviewing Christine Sachs. She is the president and head coach of Christine Sachs a master certified coach, a coach trainer and accomplishment coaching, which I'm sure we'll tell you more about, and a speaker. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Tell me a little bit about who you are. So so we sort of preloaded this. Lena and I were talking ahead of time and she, she was like, I'm going to ask you this question. So I often, when I introduce myself, the superficial introduction is that I don't like bacon and ice cream, which weirds people out. And I have actually found in my eight and a half years of using this introduction, two people who are with me in the no bacon, no ice cream. Who are the same. Usually, right. Usually most people are like, you're insane. But I think I'm on that train with them. I'm like, <laughs> what? No bacon, no ice cream? Ah. I like bacon flavoring. I just, not bacon. I get it. 
<laughs> um, my superhero origin story is that I was abandoned uh, in Korea as an infant, as, as they do. So part of the, which the Koreans don't love about their culture, the when you, um, for whatever reason, have a baby that you can't keep, you tend to leave it in particular alleys and hope they get found. And so I was one of those children. Adopted, came to the U.S. And that experience of being a cross-cultural adoptee um, has given me quite a bit of perspective on kind of the intersectional world that we live in, Mm. you know, because culturally I was raised white. I've got a lot of white cultural norms, the standard, what we call the dominant caste, the mainstream, like that's how I was raised. And yet I walk through the world this way. And so it's always a jarring experience to know that my exterior doesn't match my interior. And I could take that as a, well, our word is disempowering, but I think that there's a lot of people who can relate, whether they're in leadership, whether it's uh, racial politics, gender politics, identity politics, this idea of feeling like one way on the inside and having the world relate to you on the other side. So the work that I've done, I think, helps me help other people through their experiences because it there's just a it's just a level of crazy that you think you are <laughs> you know what I'm saying and you're like I don't why does this not work and we think it's us because I think that's that's the typical thing or we rage at a system which also doesn't really help with the, the stuff here so being able to thread the needle truly thread the needle between what is going on here internally and what is systemic and we can work on in addressing whether it's at the organizational level or at a larger societal level. That's what I do. It sounds super fancy, but basically I help people, you know, I work with people around being themselves, which I think is what every coach says, but, but yeah, but this is my thing about coaching too. We all do the same shit. Every coach will tell you we do different things, but we all do the same shit, which is great. You know, it's just, you know, for me, it's always about like personality fit and chemistry fit because not everybody wants my special flavor of disruption, sass. Boldness. Boldness, that's the word, yes. Disruption. That's actually in your tagline. I love it because you are a disruptor. This is in your brand. Mm -hmm. So what do you think your form of disruption is in the world? Well, I think being a person of color, I am a disruption. Now, and look, we can have a conversation about the degree to which, you know, Asian peoples are aligned with white cultural norms. But typically just being a person of color, when you walk into the room, you are the disruptor. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which we can own that really helps because because even being a person of color, we all live in America. And so we have a certain baseline of operations, whether we agree with them or not, right? There's a certain cultural pattern that we work on. So being able to be of the pattern and outside the pattern gives us such an incredible vantage point on what other people can't see. So I think it's really useful. The other thing are just basic skill, you know, coaching skills that probably other people on your show have talked about but um so disruption is you know being a woman being a person of color also having some bde bde big dick energy (laughs) yes yes bringing that everywhere 
<laughs> yeah. So apparently, apparently, so, so uh, Elena and I both train coaches at accomplishment coaching. And apparently, one of the groups of participants who don't actually work with me, they're in another program. Apparently, their nickname for me was BDC, Big Dick Christine. Ah, fitting, fitting. Yeah. Because you bring so much, you do, you bring so much power. And I think one of the things I love, um, first of all, thank you for sharing your story yeah. Um, yeah. so openly. And what I, what I got from it is that you've been in this conversation for your whole life. Mm-hmm. Some people are just entering the conversation and I'm wondering what are some of the trends you've seen? Uh, obviously people are struggling with the conversation itself, but what are trends you're seeing in leaders that are coming to the table to you for advice and work? Well, I think the interesting thing is one, I don't know that I've been in this work for my whole life. I think that I have been asking, because I, I think it's true, like it's less about how woke you are mm-hmm. as, and more important about how much you're willing to continue to learn and open your mind. Because I think that having this experience of like the internal, external tension um, has had me to varying degrees question why things are certain ways. Mm-hmm. And with George Floyd and uh, well, even uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, Philando Castro, like Breonna Taylor, you know, it's just asked me to go even deeper and really own where I have and haven't been. So I think that it's 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 more about the degree to which you are willing to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the the themes that I notice in leadership is that I think that people want to be good. Like it sounds so trite, but I think people do want to be good and do right by people and they don't know how, and they're scared to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably the biggest thing because there's lots of like tactical things that we could talk about, but I think the overarching theme is the experience of newness has people so scared that you do the thing that you are most comfortable with when you're scared. For me, I'm a fighter, right? Like I'll be like, you know, bah. some people freeze, some people, you know, cry and crumble, right? So it, it, it doesn't make those things wrong. It just makes them the default. So, but from a higher level, it's that people want to do right and they're really scared of getting it wrong. Yeah. Well, and that makes me curious about what you've had to own about your own fears or even your own self-care during this time to be a model for others. Like for me, it's been really, really hard to figure out how do I take care of myself at at a new level, right? With, Mm -hmm. with everything in the world going on. I mean, we could list all the things that are happening this year, (laughs) which we do in this last week. How about in the week? Let's list the things in the week or today. (laughs) And so I think about all these things and um, I myself have had to look at new ways of caring for myself to be in integrity with who I want to be for the people that I'm working for, but also to just be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people are going to fight me on this, but I don't know that there is a there there when it comes to taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's um, not a question with a real answer as much as are you, for me, am I being responsive to what I need today? Am I being, because that will likely be what I, different from what I need tomorrow. Yep. 
you know, different kinds of pain, different kinds of grief. So, um, you know, I think that the idea is that if there's no right way, there's simply just take care of yourself, hmm. you know? So I try to, I try to subscribe to that model. It's not even a model, but I try to, I try to keep that in mind because I think that what I've seen is that people are like, well, I, I do this. I like, I, I do my yoga and I do my stretching and I do this thing and it's not working. And I'm like, well, have you asked yourself if that's what you need today? Today, like today, might, you might need something else, like go for a run or call a friend or actually have lunch. You know, if any of you are watching this over your lunch hour, please shut it off. <laughs> yeah, come back to it. <laughs> don't, be, don't like have lunch. Please have lunch. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's so good because it also speaks to the um, concept of balance right now. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the conversations I've been in have been around parents just losing it, right? I don't know. And I, you're a mama. You got that beautiful little lady that you're raising. And yeah, but I got so much privilege around that. Like, Yeah. Well, and that's, we've talked about that on the show so far is who is able to have that and who is not. And yeah, I just, I just hear be with so much like, what do you need today around this? Yeah. Well, and this is the danger of, I think, like thinking that your way is the way for everybody. Right. I'm lucky that I, my husband, both my husband and I work from home. I'm the primary caretaker. Sorry. I'm the primary breadwinner. My husband's the primary caretaker. And because we've got a system and a structure that allows him to be them on the front lines, she is, our daughter is well taken care of and responsive. We also have enough income to have her have her own devices we have strong enough internet. We only have one kid. So we have only one school program to like focus on and worry about. So for me to then subscribe, like, well, you just need to enroll your partner in taking more on. Like that's a really privileged reductionist way of thinking about it. So I think that, and when I talk to leaders and managers of parents that are working, the I, one of my first questions is, is always like to the degree to which you're actually listening to your people, because in, this is like, this is uncharted territory. We have to be up in everybody's business in order to know how to create something new for the future, because it is going to be very um, different. Oh my God. I was talking to somebody last night who um, her partner, her husband, was there, they had gone away for a little bit and school started. They came back to the city and the, uh, their kid is going to school or one of the children's old enough to go to school. Mm-hmm. Partner said, okay, well, I'm going to go to the office Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. Monday came around, Tuesday came around, Wednesday in the office, Thursday in the office, Friday in the office. I mean, it was fine, <laughs> but clearly this person was really looking forward to getting back to the office, did not care. <laughs> COVID be damned. <laughs> I'm going to the office. I need me a break (laughs) and it's fine. Right. I mean, and they're in a position where that can happen, Mm -hmm. even though they're a dual income house, but this is what I mean. Like sometimes, sometimes people just need a break and it looks like that. Mm -hmm. They can do it. Whereas another couple may not be able to. So being able to be responsive and, and that's a tough thing, right? Creating a system or a policy that encompasses the wide variety of needs and being able to, to, support and handle any of the objections that come up, right? That's, you know, we always joke that um, in the traditionalists period, it was all about rules and structure and we're going to take care of you for life and, right? And, and how company 
cultures have shifted, right, from hierarchical, patriarchal to what is now this more relational, which is why I suspect that coaching has taken a huge hit because like people were raised inside of a culture where EQ or EI didn't matter. Yep. And now, especially with COVID, it matters so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's just really, uh, it's an interesting turn. And I mean, I think at some point we're going to have a little bit of the needle coming backwards where there's going to want more structure in order to make working from home or these flexible schedules work. But for now, right, the real push for, I wouldn't say empathy, but some version of empathy to to thread the needle between getting the productivity that you need to keep a company running and also understand that people are going to look different. Yeah. And even though it's our job, right, I still find myself practicing daily did I really hear that person or is it my blind spot or is it my privilege or is it my own growing up and cultural background? I mean, earlier on the show, we had my best friend from high school that came on and we've known each other. Well, we've known each other since fifth grade actually. And I was just so present. I'm sorry. She tells stories. She didn't tell stories because you know, I'm interviewing. I was able to like, (laughs) but we should have. I mean, the thing that I got from even listening to her was like just how much we grew up in a very certain way. And hearing her speak, she's an educator. So hearing her speak through that lens of how it's all spilled out into her world yeah. was fascinating. Even being from the same place, right? So, is, she, is she still living in New Mexico? Nope. She's in Texas. She's an educator in Texas. And she's, um, you know, I, re- I really wanted a teacher to speak real time. Yeah. What yeah. the experience was like right now. And uh, it was very interesting to hear her speak through the lens of DEI and how we grew up. Wow. And it just got me present to um, vision. And that's, that's what I'm curious about you. What, what vision do you have for your work in the world? Like, what do you expect to see all the things that you're standing for create or hope or want? Okay. Like, why are you going to take me to the mat like this? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, I, so, so, um, <sighs> Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I don't actually have one at the moment. Um, I think like, well, not like most people, but for me, um, COVID, the racial justice movements has really shaken up what I thought my vision for my life would be. Mm. And so I'm, I'm actually rethinking about what it could be. You know, because one of the things I did, um, Laila Saeed's Me and White Supremacy, the 30-day challenge. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, if I had to identify my biggest sin, is silence, right? The degree to which I'm not on loudspeaker about my views, my perspectives, putting things on loudspeaker. And so I think that with everything that's happening, when I, there's a line in the Constitution, right, um, Granted, we can talk about how it was created, who it was created for, and all that stuff, but I forget exactly the wording of it, but but something around um, for a more perfect union, right? Like to create a more perfect union, right? I forget the exact wording, but it's this idea that that the constitution and our culture is always this idea of creating a more perfect union, which granted taking where it came from was exclusionary and all that stuff. But today I try to hold on to this idea that that it wasn't like this is the right way, but that there's always a more perfect way for this union of people to be. 
That's how I'm interpreting it. What each of us, right? Because like then we get into the conversation of like, well, who am I? I don't have to make a difference because I'm not on the Supreme Court or I'm not in Congress and all that shit. But that's how we get into apathy and we don't make a difference is by assuming we don't have any power. Okay, there we are. So you were saying and assuming they don't have any power. That's where we lost you. Okay, okay. That's because you were first. I was like, ah, I should probably shut up. No, no, no. Uh, what was my thought? Well, like when we when we think about our work as coaches, we touch 10 leaders, they touch 25 people who touch, you know, so the multiplier effect. So thinking about my vision and my sin of silence, right? I want to, I'm in the process of trying to reevaluate and recreate what that could be to honor all the people who are fighting so hard for, for this country to have a vision. Mm. You're such a warrior. And I love that. Uh, I think what I'm getting from that is what is everybody's thing that is holding them back right now, you know, for everybody to take a look at that. And that was part of the reason I created this was to highlight that there are still powerful women out there doing powerful things and none of us have the right answers. <laughs> there are no right answers, but we're all trying something. And that's actually what I hear is that through that your next vision is to keep playing with that and trying things out to see where it yeah. goes. Yeah. It's a positive and a negative that I'm so flexible <laughs> and adaptable, but, but I'm willing to roll with it because, um, yeah, I just consider it you know, the ability to be responsive to is the key to transformation, right? Like if it's just one way and it's got to be this way, you're likely to hit some places where, well, if it, you know, you give up. And it's not to say that I don't give up. I don't have the, the um, feeling like I want to give up. Like, I think that's also very human, but, but yeah. So good. All right. Okay. <laughs> so we haven't really defined, I mean, this whole time on the show, what coaching is. I mean, I think people have gotten a gist of it in compared to consulting and therapy, but why do people need coaching now? And not that anybody needs coaching. I know we don't believe that anybody needs coaching, but what do you see is a great invitation for people right now with coaching? Man, you just want to get me in trouble with consultants and therapists, don't you? Really <laughs> no, no, no. Come on. We love them. We love all of them. <laughs> I brought many consultants on the show. <laughs> I think the, for me, I think it's personal preference. Some people prefer to work through their feelings. Some people like to have a model to follow and then adapt. I think that coaching is really about, uh, so for me, the main thing is that code therapy and consulting is often quite past-based, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about a timeline, right, consulting often looks at best practices and the models that have worked before so as to create the future. When you think about therapy, you have some feelings, but those feelings are about a thing that's happened in the past. And so you're always moving forward, but those modalities tend to deal with the thing here. So as you're going on here, your solution is from here versus coaching, which says, 
your future is here and you're here. If you project yourself, the, the whole idea of hindsight is 2020. Mm-hmm. Project yourself here and who you would need to be to start making decisions here, right? Mm-hmm. It's a totally different conversation. You'll still take feelings and data into account, but it becomes data and part of the process versus the thing to create the whole process. Mm-hmm. So it's important and valuable and sometimes a level of not knowing because it is the future. I mean, like if anything else, COVID has taught us that. All the shit that you thought was going to work doesn't work. So you got to kind of make it up as you go. It's my favorite term, MSU, making shit up. Um, (laughs) But what makes it feel a little bit less out of control is if you're like, you've got that vision, you have that commitment, you can now like, oh, this is what I want to get to. I need to make these steps here versus if I follow the model, it'll work. I mean, COVID is the perfect example of how that don't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why would people want to do coaching? They want to, you know, um, if all the things they've tried before stop working, this might be the perfect place to start. Mm. I love that. And to get curious about if it's even a conversation you're open to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had plenty of people who are like, they had a great coach sample coaching session with me, but they're like, you know what? I really want to consult. I'm like, great. Here, try one, two, three, four. Exactly. <laughs> We're happy to refer you out. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. What do you think about all of the women in the world who are powerful, but are not owning it yet? If anything. If you've got, I know we just talked about not giving advice and you're a coach, but we're going to give some advice now. (laughs) What advice do you have for those women, Uh, particularly the ones, and this goes for men too, it's not exclusionary, but it's people who are stuck in that middle area that know they're powerful, but they're not quite owning it yet. What people are we talking about? It's a loaded question for sure. I think that I'm looking at people, you know, you and I have talked a lot together, both at Accomplishment Coaching, where where we train new coaches, but we have been looking at coaching as a privileged conversation as a company in a very big way this year. And you and I, I know, are very much a stand for everyone having access to coaching. So I guess I'm looking at the people that are just starting with possibility, even as a concept, and what that could mean for them through the lens of ownership or any place to start, really. Yeah. Well, I think ownership how we're using it is a jargony word. Yeah. What I would say is likely the first place to begin is to separate out what is systemic and what is personal. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I think today, because we're all terrible at identifying the difference, things get collapsed and then we get frustrated or feel rage around systemic issues that can't be moved because of my personal efforts, which if you think about it, like, of course, that because systems take a long time to undo or redo to then believe that your personal effort didn't make this particular change is not helpful and also probably not accurate. Right. So number one is separate what's the systemic thing versus what's the personal thing. The other thing is to manage your own expectations, right? Because I think like a lot of the toxic positivity is like, if you work hard, just keep at it, like grind and die, you know, like all that stuff. 
is um, useful and helpful, but not always applicable, right? This is where we have to decide what's systemic and what's personal. Like if you know that you're going to spend your time sitting on the couch, smoking weed, watching Netflix, probably use a little bit more consistency and action oriented. But to believe that if you just work hard, that you could get someone and see, yeah. that's yeah. systemic, right? So it's a combination. So one is the separate system from personal. Two is really take a look at what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. And three, you got to focus on your lane. I've got, I was working with a client and, and we came up with this great analogy. I think it was between the two of us. I can't remember. They probably made it up, but, and I don't remember who it was, but this idea of like Olympic swimmers, for example, mm-hmm. or runners, you can't be looking around at the rest of the field, right? If you're looking around at the rest of the field, your focus on what you're doing gets distracted. So while you can be present to the other people on the field, which is important, Focusing on the other people generally doesn't help. Yeah. Whether your neighbor, your friend, your person X, Y, and Z is doing better than you, all that does is make you feel bad generally or make you feel angry or frustrated. What do you need to do? What resources can you leverage? Uh, What's the next step that gets you then to the next step versus why is it not fair that this person starts up here? I mean, it's not fair. You are where you are, so work with where you are and make that progress there. And ultimately, if everybody's doing that, it can upend the system. And that's where it's like a mass, mass shift versus believing that like because you're one person, you can't upend the system. But it's like how you choose to be about a situation, the mindset that you take into it, then influencing other people around you. That's how you change the system. Mm, Nice. It's so clear. And it just made me think like it's also keeps people on that future-based conversation that we were talking about as opposed to seeing the future and saying, oh, well, not for me. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. for me because I'm not X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I never can, you right. know, outside of possibility. Right. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking. If you had a megaphone and you had to make a statement leading the world, what would you be saying through your megaphone? So I would say two things. One would be aimed at myself and one would be aimed at others. One of the mantras I say to myself is, um, if I quiet myself, I can hear it all. Hmm. So the reminder that my what I think isn't always the most important thing. Irony is I'm sitting here talking about what I think. But- <laughs> Whoa. Well, I'm right. working on you not being silent. So, you know, there you All go. Right, right. <laughs> but um, if I can quiet my like righteousness of what I think is right, I can hear it all and open up a different conversation. What I would probably say to others is call yourself and others to more trust and love, mm. which doesn't mean be a doormat. And it doesn't mean not say the thing, but it says call all of us, each of us, to more trust and love. Because in the end, even, I mean, I, I think about this all the time when I, I don't need to justify it. I'm just gonna say that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Oh man, thank you so much. 
Thanks for being here. You've been a huge, huge part of me developing into a coach and a leader in the world. And I'm forever grateful for all you have provided me. And thank you so much for being here. And to be on a platform where the world can hear you and see you and learn from you, um, you're brilliant and a goddess. And I love you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for making it fun, super fun. There's always gonna be something about it. There's always gonna be something about it.